slash and cast. All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. In this episode, I chat with actor Jeff Kober about meditation, mushrooms, Terrence McKenna, magic, of course, the X-Files, Buffy, and more. As always, thanks for listening, and if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. really helps out a lot. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> All right, Jeff, just so we have a platform here, uh, take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? I'm a big book reader. Science fiction was my first love. Uh, comic books, my first love. I read a lot. My mother was an English teacher. I, well, I spent a year in a small town. Usually, I, I grew up on a farm, but for a year I was in a small town. My mother was taking care of her parents, and and so I spent a lot of time at the library. And it was it was just it was such an extraordinary thing to have that many books around. Mm-hmm. When I was six years old, like you do now. I'm sorry, yeah, exactly. <laughs> much like I am now. This is, you know, it's, this is, I'm surrounded by books and I'm in a corner. That's my safety zone. You're in a corner. Yes, all my books are right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've built forts and, you know, shot people with play guns. <laughs> I was pretty much a good kid, but I did get in trouble. I, you know, I started smoking when I was four and a half. That, That'll do that it. That was kind of weird, but spent a, a lot of time alone and, and just trying to figure things out. And You know, life is funny because we come in and we're, we think we're supposed to know how to do this but we don't and then we kind of have to pretend we know what we're doing as we're trying to figure it out oh wait i have a microphone right here that's probably oh, there you go. A lot better isn't it wow yeah okay big difference hello <laughs> <laughs> so you know i was just trying to figure a lot of stuff out and it, it's so different today because I, I was in montana and we had two television channels you know one local newspaper the billings gazette and no such thing as internet you know you got time magazine and time life newsweek and look and true if you were you know if you had a father or uncle that, that read men's magazine <laughs> and these you tried to structure a vision of the world through this stuff and then listening to AM radio. There wasn't even FM radio. I could get Oklahoma City at night. They had 50,000 watt KOMA. It would travel all the way up to Montana. So I got to hear some kind of music there. But you know, just trying to figure it out as you went along and not having a lot to go on. And, and you know, bell bottoms hit California. <laughs> and then five years later, they hit, you know, Montana. And, Likewise, everything else. So. <laughs> uh, you mentioned books. I've listened to a bit of your some of your seminars that you have online, and uh, you said something that I really enjoyed. You mentioned that when you traveled, as you were acting, you like to carry books with you because they make you feel safe. Hmm. Has that always been the case, even when you were a kid? 
Yeah, because, you know, you look for those places where you can allow yourself to let down your guard, where you know that something won't hurt you. Although I, I read the illustrated man to my son a little too early. The first the first story is about a couple of kids who, who manipulate their parents to getting eaten by some lions. He said, why would you read that to me? But to me, that was that was a place where my darkness was okay. You know, yeah. in books, you know, some like Ray Bradbury took that darkness and, and turned it into art, you know, and I didn't know how to do that. But I knew that there was stuff that I wasn't supposed to have, according to society. And, and, and there were people doing things with it. Yeah. So, yeah, for that reason and because books spoke to me as if I could understand they didn't talk down to me. They didn't say, you're too young. They didn't say, because I said so. You know, from a very young age, I kind of wondered why I was where I was. I didn't know where I was supposed to be, but I wondered, why am I here? Who left me here? <laughs> and why did they go away? Well, so you're a big uh, book reader? Yeah, I really like reading. I, I write a little bit myself. Just, I grew up on the Hardy Boys. I don't know if you, let's see if right there it's got the whole line of hardy boys right there here's something I, I i almost never talk about but i read all the nancy drew mysteries i love those too yeah i, love, I have I, those I, too I, I didn't read the hardy boys i because there were two of them maybe and i didn't have someone that close to me so it didn't make sense to me but nancy drew you know she was i i, I think uh, in reincarnation i was probably a girl in my last life so it's possible. and I, I mean women woman I, I don't mean to be. I don't mean women or girls. I mean, Nancy Drew was a girl, and I, that's what I was relating to. So do you have a eureka moment you can point to to where your interest in the arts sort of arose? Maybe a, a play or a performance you saw early on, and you're like, oh, man. It was a bit further down because there was a thing in where I grew up. I, I, I didn't know that the people who made art were the same as the people that I was. And so it didn't occur to me that I could be that. And when I did try to, you know, play guitar and sing songs, there were certain parental figures who told me that no one wanted to hear that crap. I went away, I hitchhiked around, I was a, kind of a bum for a while, I was in a carnival, all these sorts of things. And I saw what it was like to, to not have anything going on and I went back to school and I ended up in Missoula, Montana at the University of Montana and the only thing that made sense to me was playing music and I had been a trombonist in high school so I picked up trombone and I got to play in the pit orchestra for Fiddler on the Roof and it was the first time I'd ever seen a play and I was you know I was 20 I don't know 21 something like that JK Simmons oh. Academy Award winner yeah. was yeah. the uh, was the conductor of the orchestra his father was the head of the music school and he was getting a master's in conducting and I remember seeing these people on stage and they were going through real experiences and using their emotions and that was like oh my god you can do that so that was that was a eureka moment I still didn't think I could do that but I got close to the idea and then you know cut to a few years later I'd moved to Los Angeles and I was in a rock band for a brief moment and that broke up and my relationship broke up and I got a, a job in an office for the first, last, and only time. I was a paralegal for a year uh, at Getty Oil Company. And, and I remember that going class to classes made sense. And uh, this woman, and so I wanted to go to a class just to try to make sense of my life. And this woman said, I go to this acting class. I think you'd really like it. Okay, so I went. And that's where I saw people being celebrated for having too much inside. And I felt like, and it felt like I was a really big guy in high school in football. 
my size made sense. And in this acting class, all the darkness and feelings I had inside made sense. Mm -hmm. And so that was the really big moment of, oh my God, this is, oh, we just keep stepping forward and stumbling in the direction of where we're supposed to be. (laughs) Yes. Speaking of stumbling forward, I wanted to ask you about your initiation into meditation. Wow. I meditated for, do you meditate? It's something I really want to do, but I really don't know where to start or just how to even begin or what to do, you know? Well, I had, you know, I had, I was a a tortured soul for many years. You know, hell is a self-induced phenomenon Mm -hmm. and I was living in hell and it was because I had a, I was involved in a fatal accident when I was a kid and and I, uh, so I was living in a state of self-punishment and unworthiness and not able to live and I and I had so many things wrong with me and no way of changing them and I tried for years and I've been meditating in various ways but never able to get free of that punishing voice and but I had you know I went to India I studied you know I studied and and things changed along the way changed and changed and changed and then this was like 20 years ago i found a meditation practice that worked for me in the sense of it wasn't just a way of controlling my mind to think differently but it was an actual experience of transcending my mind and having the felt experience of being something other than my thinking and that was like for the first time ever a moment of relief from all of that and I wasn't just constantly trying to get away from that or trying to make something else big enough to overshadow that or trying to do something to numb that. I'm not that. And as soon as I had the experience of not being that, then I had the beginnings of being able to free myself from that whole system of thoughts and feelings and self-definition and lack of self-esteem and all that stuff. What was it about the new practice that sort of helped you get over the hump? It was called Vedic meditation, and Veda means it means knowledge. It's a Sanskrit word, and it's this ancient set of teachings that says that consciousness is one thing. It's what underlies the whole of, of what is. And so each of us is a, an individual expression of this one thing, like waves upon the ocean. You and mm. I are both ocean, but I'm an individual activity within the ocean. You're an individual activity within the ocean. But if that wave de-excites, we get to feel ourselves as ocean. And in ocean, everything's cool. In ocean, there's not, you know, there's no problems because I'm at one with everything and everything is cool. You know, and this meditation allowed me to have that experience so that it just, I settled down to find out what I am rather than what I do. Mm. There's a, a place of pure being that is the truth of each of us. And in that place of true being, we're all perfect, whole, and complete and there's nothing we have to do in order to be okay we are okay and then you come back out into the world and you're once again beset by all of the stories in your head that tell you how your what your shortcomings are and how these people don't like you and you don't like these people and all of that but then you meditate again and you have some freedom from that and slowly over time you become more and more able to know yourself as that inner truth and less at the mercy of the outer and along the way you're also unwinding all of the patterned responses to the world that cause you to behave in a certain way or feel certain ways about the the world Uh, all of your traumas all of your stresses all of your history starts to unwind and then you read or you listen to someone who knows more about this than you do and you're able to begin to look at the world through a different set of eyes 
and see that, you know, the voice in my head that tells me I don't deserve to be alive, and if I'm going to be alive, I certainly don't deserve to be happy, that that can't possibly be true. If, if the whole of the universe and consciousness is here to enjoy itself and know itself as happy, joyous, and free, and me over here in the corner, just not worthy of life, that's not a possibility. Right. So you, you begin to be able to allow yourself to feel that place of deepest connection and freedom, even with your eyes closed. I mean, with your eyes open once you've come out of meditation. So more and more that meditative state begins to accompany you in the world. Well said. Now, when you first started years ago meditating, how long did it take you to make progress to where maybe you started taking it a bit more serious or saw progress rather, I guess I should say. The thing is, I meditated every day for 20 years. Wow. With, you know, missing here and there, at least 15, but probably 20 years. But all of those meditations were me trying to control the mind and just forcing myself to sit in the extreme discomfort of having my eyes closed. Because if I close my eyes and try to make my mind quiet, my mind gets louder. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not fun. It's, it's not telling me good things in a loud voice. It's <laughs> telling me how I, I suck and I should die, basically. Yeah. And how that, you don't know how to meditate. What's the matter with you? You know, blah, blah, blah. And so I did that for all that time, knowing that it was important, but never having, not never, but rarely having the experience of something other than just me with my eyes closed. And so then it was something I forced myself to do rather than something that called me back to it. But this Vedic meditation, it was like, it was a relief. It was 20 minutes of relative peace. There was a, you know, there's a download of bliss chemistry. There's a flushing away of stress chemistry. You come out of it feeling more grounded and more ready to face the day. And, you know, around four or five o'clock in the, in the evening, you're like, okay, I'm ready for a reset. And then you sit down and meditate for another 20 minutes. Like you had one in the morning, now you have another one. And, you know, you, you get a reset and you get ready to move into the evening with some the opposite of stress, which you might call adaptation energy. And so from the first time I did this meditation, because I was, I went to an intro talk of this meditation. My wife said, our friend, you know, went to this meditation. She got this word and you repeat it inside and it makes you happy. And I said, yeah, let, let me know how that works out for you. Because <laughs> I was like, this is Yes. <laughs> and then we went to an intro talk and she talked me into that and I didn't like the looks of the people there. So I left before the guy <laughs> even came out to talk. I, that's how cynical I was. Yeah. And then a month later I went and I actually listened to the guy's talk and I still wasn't going to learn because, you know, and I, I ended up on the phone with this guy and I said, you know, so why should I trust you? <laughs> And he started laughing. He said, don't trust me. You just met me. But how did you feel while I was talking? Did this make sense to you? Did it feel like this might be something up your alley? You know, because what he said is that anyone can learn to meditate. It's just, you know, you just have to have an actual form of meditation. Mm -hmm. It's not about forcing yourself into the experience, you know. And so I paid the guy his money and I learned the practice. And immediately it was like, oh, my God, I'm home right there. You know, it was just it was. Uh, do you know uh, the the uh, author Lucius uh, Shepard? I'm not familiar. This is this guy. I was just thinking, where else have I felt at home? And uh, this guy, Lucius Shepard, he was a Vietnam veteran. Oh. And life during wartime is a story of a futuristic warriors. Uh, he was also, I think he was, I think he, he imbibed in a few drugs, Mr. <laughs> Shepard. Um, but these were futuristic warriors who took certain drugs that made them better warriors. And then they would pit themselves like pit bulls. They'd put themselves in pits and take massive quantities of these drugs and fight each other, you know. And, and again, 
something that made sense of the mess that I felt in here. So this guy, excuse me, when I read him, I felt at home. It's a similar moment in a different way. Like, this makes sense. I know what this feels like. And then this, this other thing, oh, this makes sense. And oh my God, I always hoped that something would feel like this. I just never knew how to get there. You know, so it took no time at all. Then it's what I realized at a certain point is that up to that point, I had been a seeker. I would go into used bookstores and look for the truth. I went to India and looked for the truth. I, I asked people questions and, you know, I tried different things. <laughs> I, I tried to do confession at a Catholic church, but I'm not Catholic. I tried all these different things to make it feel different in here and it, without, without any success or with limited success, let's say. And then when I found this meditation, I stopped being a seeker. Speaker, but I became even more of a student. I no longer was looking for a line on the truth. I had found a line on the truth. Now, how do I apply that to my life? What are different ways of finding this truth? What are different ways of seeing this truth in every aspect of your life? And that continues to this day. Now, is that the same meditation practice that you teach currently? Yeah, yeah, it is. What's great about the practice, in addition to it actually working, is you never have to see a teacher again. You've got a practice that you can do yourself. It's really the only game in town is finding that place within where fulfillment resides. We labor under this illusion that if we just get enough of whatever this is out here, it will make us happy in here. And of course, we all have the experience of finding, getting the thing that was supposed to make us happy, and it didn't. If you think about it, this is how absurd this actually is. Trying to find something out here to make me happy in here is abs as absurd as me having an itch and getting you to scratch yourself so that my itch goes away. It's just, there's no connection between the two. Right. And it would take me a lot of work to get you to scratch in the right place. <laughs> and it's still, it's like, it's not working, scratch, scratch harder. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So let's just say I sign up for one of your courses. What should I take away after the first lesson? I give intro talks, they're free intro talk. You know, I give those about once a month and, and you know, people listen and then I tell them how to learn and the, the course itself is taught over four days. And in the first, the first day you, you get a mantra that's how it works with a mantra. And you have a meditation. We have a meditation together and I take you step by step through the meditation. And then that's about an hour. And then the next three days for about an hour and a half each day, there's a, you learn how to structure this in your life. You learn how to make sense of the changes that happen in you right away. Simple things like virtually everyone thinks that if a meditation is working, that your mind gets quiet. Sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't, but that doesn't mean at all that the meditation isn't working. It just means it's working on some other aspect of yourself. And you have to learn about this phenomenon of stress release. You know, we all have, carry these stresses, these repressed experiences uh, from trauma in our life or just from being yelled at from our parents or being hit by the neighbor kid or, you know, having our heart broken or crashing a car. I did that so many times. I can't tell you. <laughs> But these things all leave marks in our nervous system and meditation allows them to begin to melt out of your system. And that causes a certain experience in meditation that, you know, you have to told about to know what's going on. Otherwise, you just think, what am I doing? This isn't even working. Ah, but it is. And this is how you can tell. And so you learn like much of life by learning to look at things from a slightly different perspective. We get to see what's actually happening rather than the story that we're telling ourselves about what's happening from the first session you've had an experience that's other than what you've had before on the subject of books and experiences i wanted to ask you about the yiching 
Oh, the I Ching. Yeah, the I Ching. Uh, that's something else you also mentioned in uh, one of your talks I listened to. What was your first experience that you can recall dealing with a book that sort of interacts and talks back to you? Isn't that, have you, you've done it clearly. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that drew me to it was, well, first, uh, the Tao Te Ching was one of the first things I read that uh, by way of trying to explain life and, and spirit to myself. And then the I Ching was like an easy step from there. The I Ching version that was available when I was a young man, it was the Wilhelm Reich translation. And Wilhelm was a German who had gone to China and spent, I think, 20 or 30 years there and soaked up the culture so that he could translate this book. And like one or two years after he finished translating it, he died. And then Reich translated it from German into English. But the introduction was written by Carl Jung. And Carl Jung, in his writing of the introduction, asked the I Ching why it was coming to the West now. And I was like, oh my God, this is one, one of the most brilliant men on the planet. And he's talking to the book and the book is giving him an answer. And so it was, again, a window on the darkness, a window on the hidden aspects of self. When you're younger, you know, you've built this persona to interact with the world and a bunch of stuff has been left behind or pushed to the side because it doesn't fit. Where do I put my rage? Where do I put my sorrow? Where do I put my my love of whatever it is that you love that isn't socially acceptable? Where do I put that? And so then it gets hidden down here and so you have to learn where to look for it psychologically. And so the I Ching was a way of looking at the hidden aspects of self and finding out how to bring them out into the light. Another thing about the Veda and Vedic meditation, just and about consciousness, Yang and the I Ching is all about the dark and the light, the, the, the daylight and the, uh, the nighttime, and, and the constant movement, movement back and forth between the two. The Veda is slightly different in that it says that light is the truth of what is, that there's only one thing. This one thing is consciousness, and it is light. Now, but what about darkness? Okay, it's, it's dark, but it's, it's just a place where light is relatively absent. And if you shine light on on it, it's no longer darkness, it's now enlightened. So that was, you know, but the, in the beginning of my seeking, the I Ching was a way for me really to have a way into the depths of my own hidden aspects. And again, a, a friend, someone who had my back, someone who didn't have anything to gain by lying to me. Well said. I know we've kind of deviated here, but uh, <laughs> I, I told a friend. Now we're now we're not talking about meditation. This is about acting. But like that, this is fantastic. Just so you know, this is great. <laughs> we'll get to adding eventually. What was the catalyst that sent you to Los Angeles initially? I was following a woman. I was in college, but I I didn't know what the hell I was doing there. I met this woman there, and she was very mysterious, and I. You know what, the first time I saw her though, this was a funny experience. When you're just stumbling through life, there are things that just sort of smack you in the face and you go like, okay, I gotta pay attention to this. I somehow knew that I needed to get in touch with my body. So I took a ballet class. Plus I knew that's where women would be, you know, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> But I went in on the first day of class, and it's, I'm, I'm just, I don't belong anywhere, let alone in a ballet class. So it's, I might as well not belong here, because I might get something from it. And everyone is in black leotard and tights, men and women. And 10 minutes late, this woman bustles into the room, carrying stuff in her arms, and she's wearing like a pink tights and a green leotard and she's got her hair pulled back and she's like oh I'm late everyone just sort of stops and looks at her like strange in that moment I knew I was going to know this woman when you're in Los Angeles are you actively pursuing acting or is that something that just kind of happened while you were there 
it happened while I was here. She was pursuing it, but didn't really know what she was doing. And uh, again, I didn't belong any place, so I might as well stay here. And then I went to that acting class, and it made sense. And then I, you know, just started. I kept studying. Uh, you know, again, it, it's. I seem to be really everything I'm reading and talking about these these last couple of weeks, especially these last couple of days, is about digging in and finding out what's hidden. And acting, you know, it's all about living freely and truthfully. Sandy Meisner said that acting is behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So you're not making up what it would be like if your heart was broken. You're giving yourself an imaginary circumstance where this other person actually breaks your heart. And then you behave from a broken heart through this language that someone gave you to to speak. And so in order to do that, in order to allow yourself to be seen by others, you have to begin to see yourself. That was an important enough thing to me because it, it just made so much sense right from the beginning and really demanded that I bring myself fully to it, that I was willing to live through the extraordinary discomfort of getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. But nothing is more uncomfortable than being who you really are. It's just, there's nothing, right. nothing more uncomfortable. That's why, you know, most people avoid it as long as they can. Today, I've been listening to a lot of Terrence McKenna. It was a, a talk he was doing on the Yiching, and he was uh, basically going into detail about why it was so profound for the West. And that is because our way of looking at things is, how does this work? The Yiching is explaining why things are the way they are, and we can't really parse it initially. That's beautiful. Again, in the West, we want to know how something works before we do it. Yeah. And you can't know how it works until you're doing it. Knowing how it works is just an afterthought, like you're already doing it. Uh, Jean Renoir, or Pierre-Auguste Renoir, uh, Jean's father, he's the, you know the great painter, Renoir. His last words, he was in bed, dying. His arthritis was so terrible that he couldn't hold a brush. They would strap it to his wrist. And he had spent the day in bed painting flowers that the nurse had brought to him and his last words were i i think i'm starting to get it <laughs> i mean come on you know so that's someone who's it's not about getting it it's about engaging with it and knowing that every moment is new and fresh and alive i've had zoom conversations with people i've been interviewed on podcasts i've talked to other people on podcasts you know I, I never with you never on this day never with what's happened to me earlier this day for me to think i know how this is supposed to go is absurd in the extreme so why even waste time with that we engage and and assume that you know if anything is egregiously wrong it'll get cut out (laughs) but if anything turns out to be worth listening to uh, it's only going to come from uh, neither one of us knowing what it's supposed to be you know like that's that's fascinating Uh, terrence so i have to ask you terrence mckenna do you because he was a big user of uh, (laughs) psychedelics uh, hallucinogenics never never done it no interested but cautious uh-huh. Just because just I don't know. Yeah, listen all. to that voice. Yeah. One day I will. For certain I will, but it'll have to be at the right time. Yeah, and with the right people and with the right the setting and, and all of that. And, you know, if the, the book uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, there's a Netflix documentary now about it. He did a lot of mushrooms to write this book about, you know, how to change the way you look at things. And if you read it, it's like he gets so excited because he suddenly goes, wait, there's more? That's what he got from doing mushrooms was like, oh, there's more than this? Yeah, I know there's more than this. I don't need to be told that. I'm exploring the more than this. Unless he learns a practice of meditation to go there himself, he's going to have to continue taking mushrooms to keep exploring the more than this. Have you tried yourself? 
Yeah, a long time ago, but when I was just young and stupid, mm-hmm. it wasn't about expanding my consciousness. It was about partying. Right. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, you know, and the, the experiences I had were reflective of that or expressive of that. I had one really extraordinary trip on mescaline, but it was, I would do acid and then end up at a concert and go like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> you know, this is just a bad combination. And sure, I've, I smoke a little weed, but I've never done anything beyond that. And that's just something that I take seriously that I'd like to do my <clears> research <throat> on. And like you said, be with the right people, because I'm the kind of person that I know if I have a negative experience, I'm going to run from it. Probably never mm-hmm. try it again. So I just want to be extra cautious with it. Yeah. And trust that the caution is not coming from place of fear, but from a place of wisdom. Here's another thing to know, is that the life that I am before this body comes into being, and the life that I am during the life of this body, and the life I am after this body falls away, that life is there, it's extant, and the highest experience of it is already present in consciousness. So I'm being guided by my best self somewhere. And initially, we might be pushed forward by our need to get out of discomfort and pain and lack of self-worth. But then we're going to be pulled forward by our higher self, wanting us to get there quicker. You know, come on, man, this is fun. Come. And so, you know, the messages that we have inside with that still small voice, those are those are messages to pay attention to. Right. While we're on these subjects here, just speaking of synchronicity, one of my first experiences with your work was uh, your role on Buffy as the magic drug dealer. Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) So just to throw some acting in there for folks, how did how was that a typical audition for you? Actually, I didn't audition for that character. That character was written for me. Wow. Marty Noxon wrote that character for me and then had to convince Joss Whedon to allow me to do it because as it turns out there's only myself and one other actor who played more than one character on Buffy because he had a very clear idea of what the universe the Buffy universe was supposed to be like and I'd already played some other character on there I was a it was when Buffy had her powers taken away and she was tested to see if she could kill a vampire without her powers and I was that guy and she got me to drink holy water and exploded me from the inside (laughs) you know so uh, marty wrote that uh, we just we knew each other quite well and she wrote that role for me so i didn't have to audition for that so i just got to go in and and do it and have fun even though it's a quote-unquote minor role very great character and it's stuck in my head for all these years you know oh good yeah no it was a it was a very it was a very powerful character and i got to work with some people who were really willing to go there you know Mm -hmm. willing when i was younger and i used to watch all these shows in the 90s i used to get you and brian thompson confused a lot was that the other actor you were referencing yep it's funny he's in a lot better shape than i am but um (laughs) you know i know brian we've worked together several times he's a good cat and yeah he's the only other actor who had two characters on on buffy let me tell you i gotta tell you this story i went when i was working doing the second character i came into the makeup trailer and this one day and brian was all the way it was a really big makeup trailer and he was getting his hair done all the way on the other end of the trailer i was getting something special done makeup wise and i think it was eyes or something you know brian's down there and and he just was finishing up and i we waved and said hi and he split and and (laughs) i said what's what's he was wearing a suit i said what brian's on the show (laughs) who brian thompson he was just 
wait, wait brian was that you know this is the head of makeup he's going was that brian thompson yeah it's brian is 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 he what's he on the call sheet? he's not on the call sheet he had an audition <laughs> down the street he came in and got his hair and makeup done and then went to his audition. I would never have the balls to do that. So, you know, God bless him for, for him being able to do it. You guys worked they, on uh, Kindred together too, right? Is that what you We did. Yeah. 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 That was another, that was a lot of me. I had a lot of makeup on that one. Yeah. So if we skip forward a few years, you know, you get, uh -huh. to, you get to Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. You're a veteran actor by this point. When a script comes to you, how quick do you know that you could potentially be working with something special? And did you feel that with Sons? Again, you're picking these roles where I, I didn't audition for that one. Actually, I auditioned for the Kim Coates role for the pilot. Kurt Sutter is, is someone I've known for a long time, the producer. And uh, I auditioned for that role. And then, you know, at the end of the first season, he uh, he offered me the role of the mayor. It was weird because I'm like the, I look like, I look more like a biker than a mayor, yeah. frankly. But what am I going to do? I'm going to take the role, you know, and, and, uh, and make the most of it. And it ended up being really fun. I had a lot of good stuff to do in that, you know, the first couple of seasons there. I mean, it was clearly, it was, it was already a big success. Another thing that was interesting is that I was brought on to be the brother to the uh, local sheriff. And he got fired on my second, you know, my second episode. <laughs> and, you know, killed on the on the show. Poor bastard. He has to produce and write and direct Yellowstone. And <laughs> Poor guy. He's the most successful producer on the planet. Man, that was the, that was the best thing that ever happened to him, right? So when so. it does come to scripts and stuff, what are some... Do you have some red flags you look for or red flags well, that jump off the page to you? Let me first say that the experience that you ask, when do you know this is special? It's when you just know it's your, your role. That's what it is for me. And there are two times that that's happened, absolutely. And the first was a show called China Beach years ago. It was about the Vietnam War and there was a Marine who had seen too much. And I read that and I just, it, it, that was me. It was like, you, you, that's me. And I went in, I had the flu. I was so sick and I could barely talk. And, and, and when I was done, I said, I'm sorry about my voice. And they said, no, 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 we love it. We love the voice, you know? And so I got that role. And another one where that happened absolutely was when I read Walking Dead mm. and the, the role, the character of Joe on Walking Dead. It was just like, oh, that's me. And here's right. how you do it. What was your experience like on Walking Dead? One of the best acting experiences I've ever had. They were, well, I found out that they had a, basically anyone who had even a hint of trouble about them, they weren't even seen for roles. They wanted to enjoy themselves, you know. And then Andrew Lincoln, you know, number one on the call sheet, worked his ass off all the time and was always willing to go the extra mile. Always there off camera giving 100% and never complaining. And so when number one on the call sheet is doing that, it just it allows everyone else to bring their best and not worry about right. it. Everyone on the crew, everyone in the cast. And it was, and they just, you know, they were very open and welcoming to me. It just couldn't have been better. And then I got to work with Andrew Lincoln and Daryl, sorry, my Norman, Norman Reedus. Norman, Norman Reedus, who was just so much fun. Uh, you know, and, you know, so into the character and so present and, and alive in it, you know, and willing to play. Whether you're working fast food or if you're shooting The Walking Dead, if the top, if the guy at the top, if your manager, if the lead dog is in the trenches, then everybody else yeah. is a little bit more motivated. And showing you what, what a proper mood is for working together. You bring up an interesting point there. One of the great things about the, the entertainment industry is almost without exception, people are there because they love doing what they're doing. And so many other jobs are people doing what they don't love doing in order to have enough money to do what they love doing. 
Right. And if you can't do what you love, you got to love what you do in some way. Because if not, then you're just, you're selling yourself cheap, man. And I was just, I was so messed up that I <laughs> literally couldn't keep a job that I hated. So I ended up just doing the things I love to do and ended up being able to make money at them. So I was just very fortunate in that way. I can't believe I glossed this one over earlier, but you said that you'd also worked in the carnival. What were you doing in the carnival? I sold corn dogs. That's respectable out of most carnival jobs. I was with the Donnie Love Traveling Concession Show. I worked the Southern Circuit, Fort Worth Stock Show, and the Mardi Gras in New Orleans in 1975, and the Oof. Jackson, Mississippi Stock Show. <laughs> it was a trip, man. We had the FBI came through our show in Jackson, and we lost 40% of the people on the show. Some of them just ran away. Some got arrested for draft evasion and being illegal aliens and uh, warrants and wants. It was a crazy time. What is the best acting advice you've received in your career? The best advice? Listen. Listen with your whole body. Listen with everything you are. If you're not willing to make a fool of yourself, you'll never do anything worth watching. Have you seen any movies that have moved you recently? Boy, it's it's so hard now because I, I haven't been out to a movie in so long that I, I, I just watched Cleo, the, the eight-part German uh, Netflix episodic. Cleo is a Stasi assassin when the wall comes down, and, and uh, I really enjoyed that. Let me see a movie that has moved me. Boy, none none are jumping none are jumping into my mind. I have to tell you, I'll think as soon as we get off yeah. the, uh, off the podcast here, I'll think of five of them. Yeah, someone asked me the other day when I asked them that question, "What's the last movie I saw at theaters?" And I was like, "A Deer in Headlights," because I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's a different world, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? Everything, everywhere, all at once. I haven't watched you it, but I've heard that? great things. A lot of what we've been talking about here is is discussed in that movie and and it's so rare to have a movie that deals with consciousness and real life things and isn't sappy yeah and and that's definitely one it's not sappy at all so and it's 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 funny and profound and touching and and everything else so i'll give it a watch well jeff is there anything in the pipeline for you that you can share without getting into trouble <clears throat> I just did a, finished a movie uh, written and directed and starring uh, Jake Johnson from uh, New Girl. It's a comedy uh, right now. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what it's called because <laughs> that might get me in trouble. Um, but uh, that was a lot of fun. And it was, you know, he's, he's really a good director and a lot of fun to act with. I uh, did another movie called Cash for Gold that uh, should be coming out hitting festivals and stuff next uh, early next year going back on uh, general hospital off and on I, I won an emmy there a couple months ago so really uh, yeah yeah so that was fun it was my covid job and they just they took such good care of me and gave me so much great stuff to do so i really love them so yeah so i get to go back on that a little bit and be a, a bad guy who might be good or a good guy who might be bad <laughs> whatever it is i am this week <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Jeff, I'm going to not keep you all even here, let you go get some dinner, whatever it is you have planned. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time with me. What a treat, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. You're good at this. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Absolutely. Maybe you'll see me in one of your classes. I'll look forward to seeing you, man, anytime. Just uh, stay in touch. All right, folks, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jeff. You can find us on all your social media platforms. Just search Monsters, Madness, and Magic, and you can find us wherever you're looking. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next week. 
Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.